Thank you for joining us as we walk with God. This is Brenda McCord. Walt and I are thankful for this opportunity to participate with the Awakening in America, an outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library. Welcome, friends. Walt and I are glad to be back in our home recording office after several weeks in Israel. Uh, It was very exciting to be back in the land and to share brief devotional video clips with each of you over the past weeks. But you know, it's time for us to return to the book of James, and today we want to look at chapter 4. James is sharing some practical instruction with brothers and sisters in the early church. How should they live in a way that's pleasing to God? You know, they were Jews, and so they had listened to the teaching of the law. They'd celebrated annual feasts for years and brought their sacrifices to the temple. But now James is speaking to the new church, and he sets the basic choice for all believers. Are we going to live according to our fleshly desires, or will we humble ourselves and submit to God? So let's begin in chapter 4, the first four verses. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. But when you ask and do not receive, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people, James says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And, you know, Brenda, even as we were talking about this, the choice that is laid out before us, it's very clear. If you want to be a friend with the world, you're an enemy of God. And and remember, it's important to note, James has repeatedly called these readers brothers, that they're family members. He's even challenged them in the beginning of this book in James 1.16. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. He, he's challenged him not to be deceived because they are his beloved brethren. There's a personal relationship James has with this audience, and that allows him to urge them to correct their behavior towards one another and then ultimately towards God. And as the leader of the church in Jerusalem and as the half-brother of Jesus, James could have just ordered them, do it this way. I'm the authority. I'm in charge. But he doesn't. Because he cares for them and he desires to see them live in a way that's pleasing to the Lord and, and results in his generous gift of grace. And we see that in verses 5 and 6. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scriptures say, God, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. James is setting up the clear contrast between being proud and fleshly and self-focused versus being humble and spirit-led and submitted to the Lord. And in verse 6, he tells us that kind of person, God gives more grace. 
And this is truly his desire for each of his children. And I love this teaching again of James. You know, we've said it over and over these past couple of few weeks, couple of months even, but James is writing it's such a practical book and he's calling each of us, each of us as believers to those who he knew as he was writing to them, that he's saying, I want you to live in a way that is in submission to the Lord. And as we're going over these first six verses, I'm reminded how important it is to take time as a student of God's word that we need to actually consider the meaning of words and phrases. We need to to break it down. And especially as, as we're doing that, even just digging into these verses and, and back into James, this is so countercultural. I mean, James is telling them, if you want to just live like the rest of the world, like everyone else is doing it, you're going to be an enemy of God. It, it requires a change. It require, requires a choice, a change in behavior, a choice to who you will submit yourselves to. And even as you say that, Wild, I think of that we have to be students, right? I mean, if we want to grow, we want to learn, we want to change our behavior, as you just said, we've got to study, we've got to figure out what it is we're being called to. So let's look at these next few verses, beginning in 7 to 10. And I want us to note today, there are 10 verbs here. These are imperative commands, and they indicate the need for a change in behavior. I don't know about you, but it's hard to change behavior and to make this work. But let's listen. Let's work our way through these verses. So listen while I read this. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded Be wretched and mourn and weep. Why? Because our sin is so ugly. He goes on in verse 9, Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Again, why? Because we initially, when we look in that mirror, we should realize how ugly our sin is. And then verse 10, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So we've got submit yourselves, resist the devil, draw near to God, cleanse your hands as it is, wash your hands, purify your hearts. Lord, make me more like you. He tells us, be holy as I am holy. And then be filled with sorrow, be sorry, mourn and weep for what your sin is, how ugly it is. Turn laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. But then ultimately, I love verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord. He will exalt you. You know, and as I reviewed this list of verse verbs, I think of my position before the Lord. As I come before him and I make a decision, I'm going to turn my back on Satan, on the devil, It's my desire to come closer to God. Do I come there in the morning? Do I return there throughout the day? Do I recognize my sinful heart and exhibit true sorrow and regret for my sin? I love in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's that 
purify your hands, um, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. Um, back in those earlier verses, that promise, when I do this and I humble myself, it's God who will exalt us. And you know, even as, as James concludes this section, he gives two examples or areas of our life. And he said, the believer can examine themselves and see how, how's he doing? How's he living this life each day in a couple of key areas? And the first one involves how do we treat others? And, and boy, this is convicting to me because I like to think I, I'm really do a good job. Um, just focusing in on the Lord and loving him. But really, when James says, oh, really? So how do you treat others? Because Jesus taught that the great commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then also to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And and James, even as he's teaching this, he says in verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers, for one who speaks against a brother or who judges a brother speaks evil against the law, and he judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but you are a judge. Remember, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? You know, James is laying out, and he says, in this first area, when, when we relate to others, do we have a judgmental spirit? Are we constantly saying, well, I'm better than you, and I do this better than you? And, and then we do something in our heart towards our brother. We really show hatred. And when we do that, we recognize that James is saying, you don't know your brother's heart. You don't know what he's gone through. Don't judge your brother. Pray for your brother. Don't judge your brother, Jesus said, love them. And that doesn't mean we just dismiss their sin, but it means that we also recognize that they're sinners just as we're sinners. That's that humility. That's that humbling yourself before the Lord. And and that's that desire, I want to be cleansed, but I want my brothers and sisters to be cleansed and in a right relationship with God. And even as you say that, Walt, I, what came into my mind of that humility is that then that opposite is pride. When often when I have that judgmental spirit, when I'm critical toward another person, it's my pride. What am I thinking? Oh, I would have handled that better. I would have never said anything. I would have never acted that way. And so it's easy for us in our sinful nature to move in as judge, right? And to be critical of one another. And ultimately, it ends up harming our relationships with those people who should be our brothers and our sisters who we should be closer to, right? And have that relationship. Well, you know, Walt, you just said earlier that this chapter concludes with two examples or areas where the believer should examine himself. And so you had said in the first, how do we treat others? And we've interacted on that. But then we want to look at the second, the second area. How do we make plans for the future? And we see this now in verses 13 to the end of the chapter. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. 
as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And you know, as I read through these verses, Walt, I mean, I think we can come up with examples and you as listeners know examples in your life where you know, someone seemed to be a very healthy person, life seemed to be going well for them. And all of a sudden, what happened? A car accident, um, some sort of a freak situation. Um, I think of, of uh, good friends of ours from back in our Moody grad school years, uh, when he was diagnosed eight years ago with brain cancer. And just last week had another surgery because his cancer is back in his brain. And I, you think of, of those types of situations that literally we have no control. And verse 14, it's, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We truly do not have any control over our days, over our calendar. And we, and we like to think that we can make solid, concrete plans, but just that, that aspect of, of the temporary nature of mankind compared to the eternal God, um, just that aspect of, of, of saying we make these plans, but we don't know what's going to happen this afternoon, uh, this evening, tomorrow morning, and, and we, we make these plans, but, but we don't know what the future holds. We don't know what kind of a phone call we're going to get. We don't know what kind of a, a diagnosis we're going to hear. Or, I mean, all of those things, just that, that, that how temporary we are and how prone to the changing um, tide of circumstances. That's what James is saying. You, you, remember that. It's not, you, you can make plans a year out. It's, he's talking about but at the same time you won't necessarily experience yeah, it's the result if of the lord wills and we talked about this and i, w- I want to pull this in here luke 12 verse 16 to 21 jesus is telling them a parable the land of a rich man produced plentifully and he thought to himself what shall i do for i have nowhere to store my crops and he said i will do this i will tear down my barns and build larger ones and there i will store all my grain and my goods and i will say to my soul soul you have ample goods laid up for many years relax eat drink be merry but god said to him fool This night, your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And while you and I talked about this head to heart, you know, it's not wrong to make plans. You said that just a moment ago. We, we can, um, we can make plans and certainly God wants us to do that. He wants us to be careful and to think, be thoughtful about what our future is. But we have to remember to include the Lord as we make those plans. And then leave those plans in God's hands, submitted to the Lord's will. It is his will, Lord, as you will. Am I allowing my pride and my fleshly desires to dictate my schedule and my plans? Or do I humbly ask the Lord to lead and guide my steps according to his perfect will 
if the Lord wills. And, and you know, um, we talk about this um, as we as we take um, even our daily walks. We, we have a dog, and we take walks around the neighborhood, and we pray, and and we know these things. But but still, sometimes it's not just the knowing in our head; it's then living them out, that head to heart, and it's being able to say, "Yeah, God." In the Proverbs, makes clear you need to make plans, and you need to save for the future, and all these things are good. But then realizing that it's the Lord's ultimate will, what he wants us to do, that he can either bless and build up or, or he can allow there to be pestilence and, and what we've saved to, to just blow away in the wind. You know, we talked about this passage of James being so focused on, are you going to be proud and fleshly and self-focused? Um, is it the flesh that's going to guide you, or is it going to be the spirit? Are you going to be humble and submitted to God's will? And and James has described this. He he's reminds us that, that Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice, that his atoning death on Calvary's cross accomplished something. And 10 years after James wrote this epistle, the Apostle Paul, after thinking about this, he, he wrote this, that Jesus' death on Calvary, his ultimate sacrifice was in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Those of us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, we set our minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, they set their minds on the things of the spirit. That was in Romans 8 verses 4 and 5. And and that's the challenge of this passage in James chapter 4. Are we going to live according to the flesh? Are we going to be focused on ourself and proud and arrogant? Or are we going to be living according to the Spirit of God? Will we humble ourselves? Will we be submitted to God's will? It is perfect timing for our life. That's the challenge. And, and that's what we're going to just pray for you and for us that we would do this week and going forward better and better. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I... I thank you for this challenge, and I know it's challenged our hearts even as we've studied this passage this week. Um, Lord, it's okay to make plans, but we've got to submit them before you and into your perfect will. Um, Lord, it's important for us to constantly go back and ask ourselves, how are we doing towards our neighbors, to the people around us, to the people we interact with? Lord, are, are, we, are we living Christ well in front of them? Are we loving them to the best of our ability with your help? Spirit of God, would you help each of us in that? And would you help us in this key decision? Are we going to live for you? Are we going to live dependent upon you? And Spirit of God, I ask that that would be a growing reality in each of our lives. So Father, we come, we humble ourselves. We, we say thank you for your active work in our life. Lord, this week, would you allow us to more closely walk with you? And we pray until we meet again that each of us will continue to walk with God. Thank you for joining us as we walk with God. This is Brenda McCord. Walt and I are thankful for this opportunity to participate with the Awakening in America and outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library.